actually, yeah. Yeah, um, this is. Let's do this from behind me, too. Yeah, she'll sit here. Yeah. 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 Joshua and Juliana's new apartment, and uh, they are christening it 
with Torah teaching to the little people. That sounds like it. As we speak. How cool is that? Doesn't that sound like something Josh would do? It's really so cool. All right. So are they are they coming back while we're talking? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Did your husband go to chaperone? He went to transport. He went to transport. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that we didn't lose him in the backyard somewhere amongst the gardens. <laughs> yes. Yes. Josiah has some awesome insights to the Torah. So I see Stan's iPad, but someone stole his Stan and Patty. Oh, oh, coffee! That's what it is, yes. I told the, uh, I told the doctor I only drink three fluids. Water, wine, and coffee. And all of them designed by God. There it is. Okay. Well, this is Bereshit. Um, for those of you who don't have a copy of the scriptures, I have several extras. Uh, you know, pick your flavor. How many of you are familiar with the Orthodox Jewish Bible? Anybody? Anybody? One, two, a couple people. The Orthodox Jewish Bible is, um, is actually available for free if you want to download the tome as a PDF. You can read it online in your browser, and uh, you can also purchase a, a bound copy, as I have. Um, an extraordinary way to get used to some of the uh, Hebrew words and phrases if you're not used to that. Absolutely terrible if you want to try and stand up and read to someone. But uh, it's great. And he does explain every Hebrew phrase that he uses, but he only does it the first time it comes up. If you're in the middle of reading Zechariah and he uses a couple of phrases, you have to start at Genesis to try and figure out, you know, really, when, when did he first define this? So, speaking of Genesis... We're going to, uh, well, let's start at the beginning. What a great place to start. Uh, they're here. Oh, the kids are here. It looks they're like they're back. We'll give an opportunity for uh, all the hubbub to die down one more time. Anybody who needs coffee now. <laughs> You're back. Was it okay? Good. It is incredible, I know. For those of you who are uh, are not uh, not aware of the uh, the opportunity tomorrow, we are moving two of the community members. First, uh, Joshua and Juliana are moving to like the 15th floor of an apartment house. And, um, but not have, yet really together. Right, but we have nothing but couches and large pieces of furniture to carry. So, you know, any of you would like to help, that'd be super. Afterwards, we're heading up. That's right, yeah. After that, we're going over to Isaac Alexander's apartment and getting everything that he's got and putting it into a Toyota. Camry, and, uh, and bringing it to his new place in the rain tree as he uh, prepares for wedded life as well. So, 
All right, are we good? Do, do we need uh, anybody, anybody else? Where is your host? Where is your host? He's talking to Mr. May. Of course he is. Mm -hmm. To Mr. May. To Mr. Mr. May. That's cool. Oh, Nicole said. <laughs> Johnny May. Oh, Johnny May. Good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Scott and I actually know. Uh, Another oh, Mr. <laughs> we do know that's another. Three, Mr. That's really, That's scary. Yeah, we know another Mr. May who's yeah actually that's got a big beard and is in Africa most of the time. So. And his brother. Well, he doesn't have a beard. Have yeah. That's right. That's exactly what you know. Steve, right? Yeah. Chip. Chip. Yeah. Chip is robusto. Steve is not. That's right. That's right. There's a distinguishing difference there. Okay. So as we begin. Uh, where's, where's Josiah? We were all waiting for you to make sure that you know, we're going to get some great insights. There's no pressure here, okay? Is that a little tight? Okay, we're good. Um, when, when we talk about the book of Bereshit, or in the beginning, I'm, I'm wondering, what's the very first thing that comes to your mind? Creation. Creation story. Okay. Is the creation story important to you? How many think it's, it's mildly important? How many think... You know, give or take, I can work that evolution thing, you know, the creation thing, you know, give or take, it's, it's okay with me. How many of you really don't don't know which way to go on that? You you want to believe the Bible, but you're hand up. But you believe How many of you think that you don't don't really know how how to put it? You, you don't know how to argue it. Nobody? Everybody knows how to argue. Great. I thought I was gonna have to teach. I didn't hear the question. <laughs> so is creation is the creation account? I don't want to call it the creation story. Is the creation account in the scriptures important, and should we argue it? Should we be able to defend it? Is it important to our faith? That was the question. So if everybody agrees, then somebody jump in and give me. I'm only looking for. Oh, let's say conservative. I only want 15 reasons why. Why is it important? It's our future. That's interesting. The beginning is going to tell me about the end. Excellent. It's, it's our foundation. It's how it all began. And the foundation of our faith is built in the creation story. It's our model. It's the model. We can see what life is like based on the relationship that God first and originally designed. Keep going. Don't stop. Salvation model. Wait, wait, are you on a double kick here? The salvation model. It's a salvation model with God providing the fix to the to the indiscretion provided by his creation. You guys in the cheap seats got the soft chairs, but you come on. Give it up, or we have to swap. It's our history. It's our history. Good, I like that. It's it's where we came from. It's the design of our creator. I like that. It's sort of a, a teleocentric model involved with God being there and starting it all rather than something <laughs> or a bang. You know. mm -hmm. Yes? No, but I Same deal. Good. More. Deep mysteries. It is. In fact, as you know, the sages say that a young man, strong and virile, should not read and study. <laughs> is it the strong or the virile? <laughs> we know he's virile. <laughs> the young should not read the creation story. Why shouldn't they read the creation story and study it? Because they might blaspheme God in so doing. Because 
Messiah was involved in creation. That's an amazing uh, announcement by the sages that Messiah was involved with creation. What do you know about Messiah in creation? Perhaps from the apostolic writings. He was there. Present? He was present at creation. He was there. He was there and he was present. He did it all. There it is. There's a connection between the logos of, of John and yes. the speaking of uh, the creation. Into, a, into, into being. In the beginning was the word. Hold that one because we're going there. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and tabernacled among us. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 16, 14, He's the firstborn of creation. It is by the power of his will that all things are held together. It came into being by Messiah Yeshua. He is the very agent of creation. He caused it. He holds it together. It is him. When wisdom speaks, about creation, it speaks about Messiah, the very wisdom of God. Salvation. The very salvation provided by God is from the very beginning, from the foundation of the world, the Lamb of Son. What was coming to me is, it, to me, it, well, you know, we know a lot about God's attributes, but to me it shows his heart, that he wanted family, that he would literally uh, give us a place and a, a garden and, and, and everything, that he had that whole picture of who we are in mind yeah. when he created us. Yeah. So, that, wow, what a love, that's love, that's his heart, wow. And, and isn't that what we read this morning? We heard, and we were reading from, what was that version? Because it wasn't... It wasn't consistent with mine. I started reading it. Stone, 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 you see that was the relationship of God with his creation. Um, thinking about like him providing for their needs. You see the the forgiveness picture where they sin and then he gives them garments. And then the, the sages point out specifically that it, it says he clothed them. It's saying that it's not just providing for their needs, but there's sort of like this this element of forgiveness in that moment. And then yeah, I was taken to reading that in, in Noah as a deep hearted sadness and you can you can almost feel the pain. Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm just so sorry that it worked out like this. I think, I think we should just roll again and go back to start. And yeah, let's let's do this again. But Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of God. So you guys don't know the song. 
Yeah, it's a good song. It's a good song. Yes, ma'am. What I find fascinating about it. They can't hear you over there? I'm sorry. What? What I find fascinating about it is that he would give us the ability to make choices for ourselves. I mean, he didn't, he yeah. doesn't, yeah. we're not puppets. He gives us the ability to make choices to do right or wrong. He yes. doesn't force us Amen. to do, to be right. Isn't it he wants us to be, but he doesn't force us. Isn't it ironic that you would be the one to say that? As we've know. been praying together for your son for so long. Oh, absolutely. And that he would choose on his own, because you can't force him. No. That he would choose to be obedient to God. Mm -hmm. And here we look. And his life is completely turned around. God has a hold of that young man's heart. And it's, to me, I just, I can almost cry every time I see him. Especially when he goes up there to pray. It is a marvel. It's magnificent. But, but you know, back to, to Janine's point, that you can know and understand the feelings of God. Because you have a son. And God has his. And you can sense this whole breaking of the heart thing. What a, what a tremendous picture that we can see. Just, I was looking at the verse, because what Joshua said reminded me of the verse in Isaiah 61, where he says, For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, and has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And that, that was the picture that the sages were playing off of you bet. when it came to that phrase mm -hmm. that he used there. Excellent. Excellent. Other comments on the creation story and why it's so important? Yes, ma'am. Nope. Morning. Stand by. This morning I was speaking to three and four year olds. Mm -hmm. and I had a two year old. <laughs> but just to talk to them about how there was nothing. And in our lives, how there's nothing in God's opportunity. But to think about the end story where we go back to the light, Him being our source of light, mm -hmm. that divides between light and dark. There, there will be no sun, there will be no moon, because there's no need of it. Mm -hmm. And to remember that in the beginning, it's hard to teach children the sun's not created yet. We're just talking about dividing light and dark. It's the morning prayer. Light, light, light. That's right. That's right. Or just to see the whole picture as, as we ended in Revelation today in a reading and to think through from the beginning to end. He is the same always and forever. But the light, him being our source of light. Amen. Scott. I was just going to say that it, it establishes a basis for our accountability. A basis for our accountability in that accountable to our creator. Just as Adam was, and mm -hmm. even Eve, and it, everybody knows, he gets brought up, he points the finger, she gets brought up, she points the finger, snake's got no fingers. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody's pointing the finger. But we are accountable. And God made it clear. They were accountable. So we hear about the first Adam, who shunned that responsibility. And we read of the last Adam, Messiah Yeshua, who took up that man and was perfectly obedient. Obedient to the point of death. Even, even death on the cross. What? Why would that be bad? Because anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed, cursed of God. Yes. So he went the whole route. Next. Good. Okay. Please. The, uh, also, it's interesting that they, well, it's important that we understand that he spoke creation of being. Good. Because then in Hebrews it says that he is 
He holds, upholds all things by the word of his power. Right. So we have that whole, yeah. the we're just, just creating it, but he's also actively sustaining it. Sure. It's, it's not the, it's not the, uh, the watchmaker winding the watch and just tossing it out there. He's actively involved with and, and literally holding together his creation. Excellent. Excellent. The one way that he holds it together as well is by the words that we speak. Mm. And, and because in the model of, of uh, Hashem, you know, the words that we speak have created, as James talks about, has created and disrupted power. Yes. And when and we speak both. his word, yeah. or when we speak his chesed, his kindness, then we are we are conveying his kindness in the world. Mm -hmm. And we sanctify his name throughout all the world as we become light in the midst of darkness. Good. This is cool. And this is, we haven't even looked at the scripture yet. This is just talking about creation. Can you see how important it is? Well, let's say none of that happened. Yeah. I mean, what, what is it you're serving? What is it you're being obedient to? Why are you doing this? What? Paul says, yikes, man, what a waste of time. You are much to be pitied because it's all just a sham. If the creation story is not there, there was no creator. Therefore, there is no accountability. There is no salvation. There is no relationship. And there's no flaw. It's funny because that's exactly where Darwin started and came up with what he came up with. He started with the conclusion, there is no God. And then develop a theory. Mm -hmm. How how could this all have happened? And, yeah, and the evolution of species. Yeah. But I think oh. it's like we, with starting with the creator, we have um, we have an example. Um, we had the kids over at our apartment, and we talked about it doing the things that God does, and how cool it is that God names the the light and the darkness, and then later He gives Adam the ability to name. Um, different species. It's the same word in Hebrew. It means literally to call. And talking about like the power of words and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. We can do, uh, in a sense, we have been given the ability to do, to follow the God's example. And in the creation account, it's like you see, like we're talking about the relationship, we're talking about the salvation and the basis and all this stuff. We see almost all of the beautiful, brilliant attributes of God expressed in just the first three chapters. And it's like, out of that, we learn how to love one another, how to forgive, the justice required for sin. I mean, we see all of these things, and it's, I don't know, to me, it, I'm just, I'm almost taken at how we can spend so much time reading Deuteronomy and Leviticus and how powerful those are in the specifics, but all of that is contained in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. It's an extraordinary opus and, and way to start. It, it really is incredible. And I thought it was cool, just real quick, saying we read all the different versions for Simcha Torah. Mm -hmm. Tons of different English translations. Yes. And we all ended up saying almost the exact same thing, which is really kind of weird. You find almost no other passage in Scripture where that happens. But it just implied to me, again, that, that this is extremely important. It's like, it's almost like out of all the passages in Scripture, what's the Hebrew is going to be the most simple, the most clear, the, mo the hardest to get wrong? <laughs> it's going to be chapter one. Yeah. Chapter one is going to be something that anybody can understand. And it's amazing to me how much you have people trying to play with it. Oh, well, one day doesn't really mean one day. And, but we don't really know that God actually did it. Maybe he just, just sort of acts like he did. Or, you know, chapter one's kind of weird from different from chapter two, so maybe it didn't really happen that way. And it's like chapter one is the essential. It's the basis. Mm -hmm. 
It is there. Okay. So there's there's a really great story there about creation. And then we have the, the really sort of sad story about the fall. So I was taken this year by the questions that God asks. And I think we're all on the same sheet of music here, right? I mean, God doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know the answers. If you think God asks questions so he can find out the answer, you have a tiny, tiny little bitty-witty God. He asks the questions so that we'll think about the answer, not so that he gets to find out the answer. What's the, uh, I think I saw three questions. What's the first question that God asks? Where are you? Where are you? Now, I can remember playing hide and seek with some of my children. It didn't happen very often. Um, but when I did, it was pretty cool because I always knew where they were. You know, they'd be hiding behind the couch, but you could see their head or their foot. You know? it's, it's really, it's kind of lame, but it's, it's fun. I'm going to be playing hide and seek with uh, Sophia soon, but uh, I'm going to teach her to hide better so that we lose her for a couple of days. No, I'm going <laughs> So. So, so God knows where Adam is. Where, where is Adam, by the way? Where is Adam? Adam is with Eve, or Adam is with Kaaba. And what are they doing? They're hiding among the trees. Right. And, you know, we've got the first little apron deals going on. Or, you know, the Michelangelo thing, you know, a little fig leaf thing. You know, one leaf? I ain't going to cut it. You know, let's make an apron or something. So... So, God asks, where are you? What's the second question that God asks before we start to analyze these questions? See, I think you'll see a theme. Who told you you were naked? There's only two of you. <laughs> Who told you? Did she tell you or did he tell Who told you you were naked? What's the third question? Have you eaten from the tree that I told you you shouldn't eat from? Wasn't there a fourth question? What have you done? But that was just. And actually, my Bible has an exclamation. Yeah, it's an exclamation, which is almost. What is this you have? What have you done? Which I've heard you say to me before. It's more like my commentary, what have you? Like it already expresses how bad it is. Yes, in that. exactly right. It is a rhetorical question. Yes. Aren't they all? Well, I think a rhetorical question, at least when I use them, normally makes an extraordinary statement. But I think the first question, prior to that one, is really trying to get Adam and Eve to think. What's the first question? What does he want them to think about? Where they were spiritually? Yeah, like where I are think you in my relation I, with you? I agree that it is relational, but I do not want to spiritualize it. Okay. So I'm agreeing with you 100%, but I want you to rephrase it. Where are you in connection with me? Precisely. We did this together. Yeah. I created you in my image. We were walking together. Where are you now? Yeah. You're not with me, is really what he's saying. Right. Now, 
Is there a spiritual connotation there, a relationship with the whole thing? Absolutely. And if you miss the fact that there's a spiritual and relationship back, uh, 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 part of that, you don't get it. But physically first, that's the bottom line. How, how come you're not with me? Almost like, why are you, why is this different than normal? Exactly. Here, yeah. We walk together in the cool of the day in the garden. Where, where are you? Why aren't you with me? It's not. I'm in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes, sir. Well, it's interesting that the very first question he asks Cain is, where is Abel, your brother? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that God chooses the word to ask the question, where? He doesn't ask, what have you done first? Exactly. He doesn't even ask. Even though you know, he knows. Yeah, exactly. He, didn't, he doesn't even ask, how did you do it? Or even why? Yeah. would be probably the first question I would ask. Yeah. Why did you do that? Yeah. But instead, he asks, where? And I think what's cool about it, the sages teach that the questions were intended to give opportunity for repentance. You bet. And the idea was, and so God chooses probably the most, um, not vague, but kind of open-ended question imaginable to sort of, he's like he's begging for them. Just answer me. Tell me. What happened? I'm not going to impose. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to imply anything. I want you to respond to me. But one, please, just tell me what you did. One word. What's he looking for? Confession. 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 Shuvah. He's looking for that repentance. He's looking for what would have been the right response from Adam? Adam, where are you? I'm coming, Lord. I'm coming. That's good. Better. I messed up. I messed up. I'm sorry. And he comes running out of the bushes and grabs onto the legs of God and begs for forgiveness. That would have been great. Completely different book. Much smaller. Much smaller book, probably. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, so that's the mini series, and that's on next Tuesday night. So yeah, that's exactly really. But do you notice that? We've got two different vignettes. Let's call it three. We've got that vignette of creation. It's all pristine, and everybody's like, ooh, you know, and you've got the, the hallmark little star things going off all over the place. And the second vignette is in the garden. We've got the whole tree thing, and then the fall. In that vignette, God walks in at the end. Where are you? Do you see the third vignette? His first question to Adam, where are you? No, completely new scenario, completely new vignette with with Cain and Abel. Where's where's Abel? Same question. We're going back through it all over again. It's just one, as Jonathan was telling us at dinner last night. It's one cycle after another. And what have you done to really get to? Yeah, exactly right. And also, it's cool. <coughs> the commentary that I had in my Pramash um, pointed out that while Adam. We see repentance and, and confession, salvation, a couple different things in Adam and Eve and what happened with them. But we see Cain as the first true follower of the Shuvah. And that uh, we see that he has confession. He declares to God, my sin is too great to bear. He's exiled. He's kicked out of the community. But then he rebounds into positive action. He could turn around and go, this is horrible. My life is miserable. God hates me. I'm going to go do whatever I want. Instead, he tries to live, and although he ultimately fails, his descendants are not taught, and they do not do what is right. right. In the end, he himself tries to be done. Balteshuva means literally master, master, of the master of the return. Right? It's a, or, uh, or Lord of the return. Right. Not Lord of the rings, <laughs> but Lord of the return. Um, although return 
speaks of a ring. No, you're talking about. Okay. All right. So, what's, yes. One of the neat things that I was thinking about with where are you is that God establishes first the consequence of sin which is a distancing from himself. Correct. So there's sin, and then it's just pointing out before he says anything else, look what this has done now, that exactly. now you're exactly. distanced from me. Exactly right. So now the relationship is different. We won't say it's broken. We won't say it's, it's fractured, but it's definitely different. Now, I tend to believe that both of those are true, to a certain extent, but we're not going to go there right now. I think it's also important to get two examples of that, that separation. Right? We have the first one, with the actual first true fall. But in case you think that, well, that just that just occurred, that was just what was true. It's so one the first one. It's one so one No, this is a perpetual thing, and this is for the rest of creation, it's as exactly long right. as we're in this incomplete form. That's right. It's like, with, with Cain, you see, okay, this is that was the first fall, now we're going to see this is a perpetual problem we'll continue to see throughout humanity. And wouldn't you say that as we continue to read, it just starts happening more and more and more. It's a snowball. Yeah, it is. And, and then all of a sudden, all of the sitcoms are identical. <laughs> and, the, but the, and it's interesting that it progresses. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Until, finally, as you pointed out, God is truly sad that it had to, it went this route. That's why I think that I love that, that picture and the questions and things. And it's... It's like with Cain. Cain. Cain offers an offering. He does poorly. He God doesn't accept. Put it in the hand. He would have. Anyway, we're just gonna say that this idea of, of, of repentance and, and as a opportunity. You see, Cain does poorly, and then God says, "Why are you upset?" And then then he immediately tells him, "Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you can overcome it." You can beat. Them. In other words, it's saying just because you screwed up to this point doesn't mean you have to keep doing it That's because right. that is actually one of the first things that comes to the minds of most people. When you do something bad, especially something really bad, oh well, oh well, I'm going to lose now. I already screwed up, I'll just keep screwing up. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of, even with the offerings and sacrifices. What does God do? When you sin, he says, bring an offering. Let's get intimate in our relationship because your first reaction is to be run away from me as fast as you possibly can. And he's willing to let you fix it. Yeah. And he tells us how we can fix it. That's what's so beautiful. James 1. And desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings yeah. forth death. Mm. Exactly right. Okay. So the first question, where are you? The second question, who told you you were naked? Who, who told you you were naked? Which implies? They were aware. From the tree? They were aware of what was that? Have you eaten from the tree? Well, they were under the tree. Yeah, so it's not until change. Right. What did he say? Have you eaten from the tree that he told you not to? But why does he ask who told you were naked? What's his purpose? Say again? Because their eyes were open, then all of a sudden he realized that they saw something that they never saw before. Okay, that's the whole naked thing. But he didn't. Yeah, they have knowledge. They weren't supposed to have. It's the tree of life you can eat from. You can eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So... What'd you say? Hey, hey, guys, I can't have that friendly accent. Who are you talking to? Who have you been talking to? Who have you been talking to? What are you talking about? They've been talking, talking to, to the wrong people. 
bad company corrupts good morals. That's in the apostolic writings. If you can't find it, start at Matthew 1 and go until you hit it. Someone, there was a hand over here. In the Proverbs? Now I gave the whole apostolic writings to read. Genesis. Contrary, contrary to things in the apostolic scriptures oftentimes read. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There is something in the apostolic writings about corrupting good morals. But we'll get to that one later. All right, so that's our next question. So, yeah, obviously, he's trying to point out you've been taking counsel. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, but you've been taking counsel from the other side. Mm -hmm. There is good and there is bad. There is good and there is evil, and you've been listening to the wrong ones. And I think that we should learn from that. We need to discern that you, know, you can go on the internet, you can listen to the radio, you can watch television, you can talk to people in Harris Teeter, but you have no idea whether these people are right or wrong unless you've got something that you can lay it against as a standard. Hillel, and Shammai, in their day, Shammai was the uh, the one that was holding around, you know, holding the, the builder's cubit, right? I mean, that's what, you know, we, 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 we know the story of the Gentile who comes and says, teach me the, the Torah while I stand on one foot. And Shammai smacks him with the builder's cubit. There is a standard, and we should know that standard. We should be familiar with it. In fact, we should be people of the book, as God's people are, right? So when somebody says something, you should immediately go, hey, That's it, right? I've got this in columns now, and it ain't, it ain't lining up. And that's actually one of the biggest problems we see in this account. Yeah. Because Eve, um, when the serpent says, did God really say? Eve's response is to completely mess up what God said. First, I, the, what I always been pointed out is the fact that she says, we're not supposed to touch the tree. And the sages catch on to this, and they say, see, when so the serpent takes her over to the tree and kind of, you know, go ahead, just just touch it. She touches the, the fruit. And, didn't die. Oh, I guess it's, it's okay. So it's like there's no consequence when I did it, but you didn't, he, she didn't actually break God's word at that point. She just did what she thought she was supposed to do. So she put words in God's mouth. But then I noticed this year, too, another mistake that she made. She says we can't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. That's not what God said. There's actually two trees in the middle of the garden. And the one from the, the tree of life, they can eat from it any time. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so it's like she lost perspective about what she wasn't supposed to do. She just knew there was this thing she's not supposed to touch or eat from, and she didn't know why, and she didn't really recognize the significance of what was happening. So it's kind of like, well, you know, whatever. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this opportunity to give a quick parenting lesson and an admonition. I give, I give Eve a complete body, because God didn't tell her. She, he told Adam. So where would she have learned what she told the serpent? From Adam. What did Adam do? Great parenting technique. He made a fence. Look. Don't even touch that thing. This is bad. Touch it and we die. Don't touch any tree. Don't just get away from the middle of the garden. As a matter of fact, don't go to the middle of the garden unless you're with me. Whatever. He built a fence. There's nothing wrong with fences. It's a great idea. It protects our children. Nothing wrong with that. Until. What was the problem? She didn't know why. She chose not to trust the authority who gave her the instruction 
and she chose to trust the words of the servant. So she's listening to another voice, and she was able to be deceived. This happens to Baptist kids almost all the time when they go to college. Why? Because serpents are really clever. Because serpents are really clever. No, men are really clever. <laughs> well, I think the problem was, again, what's, what is God saying? She got offense, which is great, but she, she put God words, in, well, or Adam, put words in God's mouth. She, he had her believing something that wasn't entirely true. You are right on the edge of it. It's easy for me to counter and tell you, your parents are full of it, but for me to say, the God that told you that, that, that crosses a line in everybody's mind. You know, so when people say, you know, God's a liar, God's, God doesn't exist, they're going to shut you off. When they tell you your parents are full of it, I can't believe your parents taught you that. You know, people go, well, maybe. They well, maybe my parents are not. Exactly. Yeah. How do we combat against that? Joshua's right on the edge of it. The answer is? Teach them the word of God. Amen! And, and I, I have to say, you're right there. With the Baptist and other denominations, yeah, we can pick up that. of it's course. Well, I was raised that too. That they're they're taught articles, uh, the newspaper, everything but the Word of God. Yeah. And so, you know, if if you haven't heard, if you speak the Word of God to your children, they will remember. Yeah. Because God has planted a seed in them. God is able to withdraw that. Bring it before them at any time. They may choose to not do it, you know, to not not listen to God. But you have done your deed, your in your responsibility. responsibility if you speak the word of God. I say that because of not hearing a specific word of God instruction from the pulpit or from my parents. I didn't know that. Thus, suffer my own responsibility to have read it for myself, study to show yourself approved. We're supposed to go and study for ourselves. But as parents, it is our responsibility to say, copy this sentence down ten times or whatever, this, you know. To this is the key. She's exactly right. The, the fence is, is not the problem. The fence is a great thing. You know, the traditions of our people are great things. And they can bring a lot of foundation and structure to our walk. But when the tradition becomes the rule, and we're all concerned about busting the tradition, something's wrong. The traditions were put in place by the sages so that we might be able to keep the commandments. We put offense in the lives of our children so that they will be safe. We need to teach them this is the fence we're going to light candles on Friday night, 18 minutes before the sun sets. And we're doing that as a tradition set by the sages. Why? So that we will not violate the Sabbath. Because God said, you shall keep the Sabbath and remember it and make it holy. Six days you shall labor, but the seventh day, and, and teach them the word of God. So what's the problem? Adam builds a fence, does not make clear what the Word of God is, evidently, or he forgot pretty quick. Or he just added things to it. Or, you know, whatever. So the bottom line is, she's commenting on the fence. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that the serpent doesn't care about the fence? Mm -hmm. Did God really say? 
He's talking about the Word of God. He's questioning what God said, not what Adam has as a fence. And the problem is, just like the Baptist kids that go to college, she's got nothing to fall back on because she doesn't know the Word of God. And that's how she was deceived. We can do a whole lot better. We can do a whole lot better. <laughs> teach the fence, teach the Word of God. And I don't think she's teaching that word either. Teach the Word of God and then build a fence around it and make it clear. I want to be obedient to this word. And in my house, we're going to use this fence. I think that's a great way to do it. So if the Moshe commanded the Hebrew people to do it, speak of these things, the mm -hmm. things of the Torah, to your children. Yes. That's right. Go along the line when you rise up, exactly. lie down. down. <clears throat> exactly right. Not talk about the fences. All right, I get you, then I get you if you still want, and then back to you. Yes. And Yeshua being a reflection of the first. Um, yes. Uh, does the same thing, and I know I'm just kind of preaching to the choir, but that's good. No, there's, there's people from Gastonia at the other end. The they are no clue. Preaching to, <laughs> preaching to the shtetl over there. Uh, well, if, if you take the words of, of Deborah Rima, if a, a, a preacher comes in your midst, or a, 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 a teacher, or prophet, whoever, and he and he says, "Does God did, did God really say whatever you think he said?" He, he is challenging the words of God. And the Torah says, first thing you do when you hear that is you shall guard the words of this of, of the Torah. You shall, you shall dig into the, uh, into the scriptures and see, did God really say that? And, and regardless, you have the pre-election that you are going to keep the words of this Torah. Yeah. And as we all know, that's exactly the qualifications for, for uh, Yeshua. And we know that he also uplifted, and he, and he kept those... Uh, Fences and those higher standards in regards to those mitzvot as well. So that's that's not the problem per se. I, I, I don't I don't deem uh, Chava for answering. We're not supposed to touch it. Yeah, Fence, fences are not the problem. Right. Exactly. But being able to back up the fence was the failing of the Baptist kids when they go off to high school and right. maybe college, and it was the failing of Chava. She she could not come back right. with the word of God. Exactly right. Well, I was just going to say. Um, <coughs> If like the Baptist kids, like everyone who believes in God starts with the premise that you know God is just, God everything that God says is right and can't be changed and it's not wrong. Yes. Because everybody who believes in God believes that. So we, we can only hope. Yeah, we we, yeah. we hope. But um, I mean, like like you're saying, if Eve if Eve knew the why the fence was there, not just the fence was there, if she knew what the word of God was, and Adam impressed upon her like this is the word of God, yes. this is what it yes. this is what we're not doing. Yes. She would have been able to combat what the serpent was saying with, okay, no, actually this is what, you're wrong, this is what, this is what. And in fact, means. isn't that exactly how Yeshua mm -hmm. fought against the same foe when he was in the, in the wilderness? Right. Actually, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was going to say, Yeshua, he actually did the more perfect, like, he actually fulfilled what was supposed to happen with Eve. Exactly. Uh, in the garden, he did with the serpent when he was faced the same challenge. It says he, he, he did not, he's not unfamiliar with what we go through. He's gone through everything. Amen. One of the things that we do in the Torah service traditionally is we, we point in our group to the, uh, to the Torah and say this is the very same, very same word. And that's the one of the things that, you know, hath God truly said and that's unfortunate not to pick on Baptists because there's other Jews. I remember, I remember my first my first uh, uh, opportunity to uh, in, uh, know what 
Baptist teaching was, was the Sunday school quarterly. Yeah. And the constant, unrelenting attack upon the Word of God in something that everybody's showing up on Sunday to read is stunning. Well, it didn't really mean this. And scholars say this. And it's like, is this the basis for your faith? Mm-hmm. And we can, you know, we're picking on the Baptists only because today's Baptist pick day. Um, <laughs> but we can also pick on the Presbyterians, right? And the Presbyterians have their own confessions and their own deals and all these man-made writings. And, you know, in and of themselves, they have the potential to be great. But we got to get back to the Word of God. And if we're going to spiritualize what the Word of God says, well, yes, there is a temple. Yes, there's going to be a high priest. Yes, there are going to be sacrifices. And we want to say, well, that's just a spiritual metaphor. And we're really in the kingdom now. Great. Well, then what I read really doesn't have any impact on my life at all. So we can look at whatever persuasion we have. The bottom line, I hope, is that we're going to look at it strictly from a, uh, a literal perspective. And, of course, we need to remember that everybody studying the Word of God always starts out with a line like that. These people are doing it all wrong, but we're going to do it right, and we're going to do it literally. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing the same thing they do, too. So let's just make sure we all hold each other accountable to literally what the Word of God says, regardless of version. All right, I got... Did you... Are you okay? No, actually, um... I got... That, that, that we have to be mindful of our focus, that it's not on the fences, but on the Word of God, Amen. first of all. Secondly, um, why did Eve not trust Adam, you know, to obey what he said, okay? But did Adam lie to her? It appears to me that he did, we don't because know. she didn't die. We don't you know, when she touched it. Now, eventually she did. But, but, but God said But his fence God said it. that. Not, not a, huh? The first, the first oh. sin was when Chava actually <clears throat> ate. Until then, there yeah, was but, no sin. But, but she said, or to touch it. Right. And we're, we're okay, making but that was fine because she hasn't sinned yet. And that's was, what I meant. Even though Adam would now have still has not been any sin. But, right. That's what that's my point. But but I want I want to make make sure that we're we're on the same sheet of music okay. you and I. I, I I see where you're going. You're and I'm with you hundred percent. We don't know what Adam said. We're making the assumption she wasn't there when I don't think no. she was even created. No. Maybe she was. But, but we don't know. We, we assume that Adam gave her those instructions because it's not what God said. So either Adam gave her those instructions as a fence, and you're right, he did not make sure she knew the actual word of God. Or a second, she made it up on her own, and she actually heard God say it. We don't know. I, we're making the assumption that Adam built a fence who told her. I guess what I'm saying She was not created. Okay, so I guess she was not created. What I'm saying is she trusted what the serpent said versus what Adam said. You bet. You bet. That's true. And and my question is, why would she do that? I, I have one great answer, and it comes from deceiving people, which I used to do on a regular basis. 
that's what I went to college for. It wasn't certainly to learn. I went to college to party and to sell drugs. That's what I went to college for. I know, shocking. But it was prima science. Well, true. So don't remind me of those days. <laughs> but deceiving people is a piece of cake. You know what the first thing is, especially with the Baptist kids that show up? They don't expect to get the question. That's true. They don't expect to have any kind of battle. That's true. They certainly don't expect the battle to come from someone who's got a collar on. you? I mean, the apostolic scriptures, or maybe it's Proverbs, teach that our, our, our battle is, is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities and rulers in high places that masquerade as angels of light, not as angels of darkness. They look really cool, and they sound really great. But are we preparing our children? Are we preparing ourselves each day to go into battle and to get questions on what we believe? Do you practice getting the questions? It's called apologetics. That's what we used to do all the time at the kitchen table. I'd sit down at the dinner table and say, I don't have any problem with abortion. Do you? And everyone got really interested in their food at that point. <laughs> Heads go down and they just start eating. You should have no problem with abortion, by the way, as long as it's treated like murder. Sorry. <laughs> Part of my point is fences tend to make us think, oh, that's yucky, that's ugly, that's dirty, that's fearful. Okay. We put the feeling out there. But if you see what Eve saw, she said it was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was desirable to make one wise. Mm. So her concept of don't touch, don't go, it's yucky, it's dirty, it's whatever, was changed into Good. it was beautiful, Excellent. it was lovely. Excellent. And that's what happens to kids and those of us who get deceived is the thing we feared because we thought it would be dirty or frightening or bad gets us because it's actually lovely and fun. And enjoyable. That's exactly. It right. makes us cool. That's right. Or whatever else. People start to love us more. We have more fun. All those kind of things. What does it say about Moses? What a guy! Because he gave up the passing, up the passing pleasures of sin for a season. John, it's exactly right. If we convince our kids that sin is bad in and of itself, and that it's not enjoyable and something that they should shun. We're giving them a false picture. Mm -hmm. And when they're presented with the sin, as Eve was, because we didn't teach them the word of God, they'll be pleasantly surprised. Oops. They just got pleasantly surprised by sin, and that's exactly what happened to Eve. Which is only for a season. Exactly yeah. right. It comes back to bite you. It will, uh, well, it is what we teach them. It is ultimately a very bad thing. Isn't that why they didn't die right then and there? But they would. Mm -hmm. I think that's... Uh, that's one thing that gets us to me from Eve, as I mentioned earlier. Eve lost the significance of what was being talked about. She talked about that tree in the center of the garden. Mm. And I just really felt like she didn't see it as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't this, because God always described it like that. God never calls it the tree in the middle of the garden. But Eve did, and I feel like that's one reason why the end of Deuteronomy is like this litany of curses. 
I mean, the whole way, the, like, we think the end of the book, you know, people want to end on a high note, right? No. It's like, and you do this, and then this, well, bad thing will happen, and oh, seven times more for your sins, and all this stuff. And I'm about to die, and I know all this is going to happen to you. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Thanks. So, but it, what it does, I think, the intention is to make it significant, is to make it, like, hold real weight, is to say, look, these things that you're tempted by, that look good, that sound fun, are going to destroy you, and this is all of the awful, graphic, horrific things that will happen to you because you do this badly. And I feel like Eve sort of lost sight of that significance when she was being tempted by the by the serpent. In the moment, in the heat of the moment, it's really easy to think, I'll deal with the future later. So whatever's happening now is what I need to know. So that's why I'm thinking like as teachers and also for ourselves, we need to be intimately not only acquainted with, but also remembering the consequences for our sin. It's why in the Shema that we pray every single night, it says, if you do these things, God's going to bless you. But if you don't do these things, here's the list of bad things that's going to happen. Amen. And I think we need to live and teach our children to live in light of the world to come. That's the whole concept of multi-generational faithfulness. Right? I, I'm not raising my kids so that they will leave me, get married and leave me, raise kids who will marry and leave them, raise kids who will marry and leave them. That's not what we're trying to do. I'm raising children who desire to be with me, who will leave me, build a new family, and be with me, and we will all dwell together worshiping the same God. Amen? Some, you both need to say amen, so I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead. We said amen. There you go. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, kind of add on to that. It's almost like at the end of Deuteronomy, you know, God's like describing all these curses. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, obviously I wasn't clear enough like the first time <laughs> when uh, we had this problem. I didn't, I only told Adam or what have you. I'm going to be very clear this time. Like, okay, all this is going to happen if you don't do exactly what I say. I just think it's interesting. It's a, it's a tactic, like, it's almost a parenting tactic. Like, okay, obviously I was good the first time. Let me make sure I'm clear this time. Yeah. We, we use it in the army. Um, we tell you what we're going to tell you. And then we tell you. And then we tell you what we told you. It's exactly right. So, you see one, uh, do one, and then you teach one. You know? And just that repetition deal. Yes. Josiah, did you have something to say? Did I miss you, man? You just need to grab onto my pant leg and stand over here. Go ahead. <laughs> James said the same thing, that we should flee the mm -hmm. devil, resist him, he will flee from us, but we should run away from that bad stuff and not do it. That's exactly right. You just said it so much clearer than I did. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yes. Just, right. just to uh, just to enforce what Josiah said, when we're when uh, we're like moths drawn to a flame, mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why the first uh, the first sin was to gain the knowledge of sin, mm. and, be, and because when we know when we know something when we're so there's something very precious about protecting our children so they maybe know the bad thing, and and because.
because, because, because being drawn to them makes us suspect, uh, it makes us susceptible to being then not just tempted, but in, uh, to, to engage in more and more. And God, God knows this. He create, actually created us. He created us for this purpose. He created us to be curious, to want to emulate, to do things. These are these are things He did. He, what He did not create us with the, with uh, with, and He kept us from the knowledge of evil because knowing the way that He created us, He didn't want us to uh, descend. Because once we did, once we knew it, then there was going to be only one way to, to solve the problem. That's right. He wants, he does want us to be curious. Yeah. He wants us to uh, to desire to know things. Uh, and and Eve had a knowledge, but she didn't have the knowledge of evil. And that and the way that 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 she was drawn to the wanting to know knowledge was not wrong. It was the fact that once that once that was broached. Now there's no con no constraint upon a person because we want to know. That's right. And to Gloria's point, she knew where the line was. Had she known where the line was, she could be curious up to that point. When someone's trying to entice her to go over the line, she could go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm not. I choose not to go over that line. That's big." I think that's different. It, 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 she knew where the line was. She obviously said she knew where a line was. She knew where a line was, but not. But she didn't own it. She didn't own it. Excellent. Excellent. Good. She didn't say, "This is where I." I won't go beyond this. Good for you. It was. It was just something in her head that. Yeah. Oh, we shouldn't go there. Yeah. I know there's a line. This is the line. Perhaps my husband gave me. Right. Um. Oh yeah. Let's uh. Let's talk about that. You know. You're exactly right. Choosing tight. So yeah, we do need the line, and it needs to be the right line, and we need to own that line. And, and that's in, in passing it on to our kids. I think that's the problem too: is getting them to own that, own the lines for themselves. Well, we've we've seen as parents. I know you have, because I've met your daughter. You've you've experienced the joy of seeing your child in a situation without you, where they've made a choice that makes it obvious mm. they have their own mind. And to me, that is the ultimate comparison. Mm -hmm. That's that's so beautiful. Why is why are sweet stuff, sweet things, sweets, desserts? Why are they so tempting? Because you've had it before. You've already had dessert. You know how good it is. So when dessert comes out, you're tempted. Same thing with pornography. When the man looks at pornography, he's tempted. He will always be tempted. Just like we're always tempted by dessert, you'll always be tempted by pornography. Why? Because if you've experienced it, you know, and you desire it. It's, it's bottom line. That's why we need to guard our eyes, as Job said. Mm -hmm. I saw a hand. Did I see a hand? Yeah. Last hand on this topic we move forward. Yes. Oh, two, two hands? Okay. Wait. Yes. Okay. Just from what Mr. Sherlock was saying, because I think about knowledge, knowledge is the All sort of has the same in Romans 7 or 8 mm -hmm. about how the, the law said do not covet. I didn't even know that was a problem. Now produced in me all sorts of covetous thoughts. I think it's sort of along the same lines. Yes, you exactly. know you can't do something that's all you want to do. Ignorance is not bliss. That's true. <laughs> there was a Superman episode years and years ago, probably 35 years ago, where they had tied up this bank executive, and they wanted a combination to the uh, 
to the safe, and they had a donkey that could read men's minds. Hey, it was Superman. And, they, and they, the crook said, whatever you do, don't think about the combination to the safe. And the donkey's immediately banging away the numbers for the combination, because when you're told you can't, it's, you can't help yourself. You can't help yourself. All right, yes. That maybe people would want to make a comment on, but I just this just came to me. It's kind of deep. But she walked with God in the cool of the day, and so it wasn't sin. like she did, and she still sinned, right? So it wasn't she, like she didn't know God. She had the most ideal husband on the planet, right? <laughs> so, so this is what I'm thinking. So what came to me is words. So words almost trumped. Her, the words that her husband spoke, or the, what she thought her husband spoke, or her relationship with her husband, and like what everybody's saying, she should take responsibility, this or that, that trumped her relationship of actually walking with God, and being with him, and hearing him, and seeing him, and she knew him. And yeah. so, so words are very, very important. Very powerful. Do you guys not understand why a man married to an unbelievably attractive and godly woman, why a man like that? after 20-some-odd years of marriage, would actually leave his wife to go move in with a bimbo at work? Do you have any idea why that happened? Deception. Why is he deceived? He got what he wanted. He got what he wanted and what he needed. He heard words of affirmation. Wow, Mr. Smith, that's a very nice suit you're wearing today. But he's paying her. Of course she's going to be nice to him. She's going to say flattering words. And his heart is going to be drawn. It happens. It happens the other way around. I just know more about that side than the other side. But you're exactly right. So ladies, say something nice to the guy every now and then. But Janine's point is powerful in the connection to like the, the children of Israel in the wilderness. The children of Israel experienced God in unbelievable power and yes. intimacy and yes. provision. Bam. And when God said, go into the, the land of Israel, they went, what? Wait, 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 what? Did you see the giants there? You see those guys? Cow. It's like, you know, apparently parting the Red oh. Sea. Holy cow. Was you know, when, you know <laughs> we, we can watch the sea part, and we can watch all sorts of incredible, you know, the ground opens up and swallows people. But, you know, wow, those girls from Midian, they're really cute. They're cute. I yeah. mean, so the, but the point being is, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that it does boil down, I think, a lot to what God talks with Cain. It really comes down to a choice. And at the end of the day, it's amazing to think you mentioned earlier having like a, a sense of freedom to choose. Yeah. But we are really hung in the balance between good and evil on this. We are not so pressed by evil that we are stuck choosing to sin. Amen. But we are but we also have no superpower in a sense from our experience with God up to that point that makes us invincible to sin either. At the end of the day, it does come down to us choosing to do one or the other. And I think that knowing the word of God is sort of that first buttress against that, but we're still going to have to choose. Mm -hmm. it's, and it doesn't get easy. All right. Yes, Mr. Scuturin. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to finish by that the, just the relationship between God and Adam and Eve, and then also God and Israel, is demonstrated that it's such a good relationship, I think Hebrews 12 tells us, that, that they, though they sin so flagrantly, that 
punishes them horribly. And with Adam and Eve, like the worst punishment because it's expulsion and it's death and it's really messed up the entire world mm. forever. Not forever, but for a very long time. And this bad, and then children of Israel, again, have this really close relationship with God and intimacy and and they still make all these mistakes and they get punished really badly for it. And they get kicked out of their land and they get all those plagues, um, thousands of them dying. But that's God demonstrating that the people who are sinning are important to him. Paul said, not Paul, but the writer of Hebrews rather, says, this is how we know that we're children of God, is that we get punished by him. That's right. He so, disciplines those, those he loves. Right. So if, if there wasn't a, a discipline, that would be that would be a lot worse. If, if, if he was able to eat the fruit and nothing happened, mm. it would be like God doesn't actually care. Mm. Who is the strength of the relationship between God and Adam and Eve? God. God is the strength of that relationship. He's the one that fixes the broken relationship. He's the one who makes the provision. He's the one who makes it work. He's the one who allows the relationship to continue. So it is in a way in America. Guys, we've talked about this before. In no uncertain terms. I don't care who you're married to. I don't care how long it's been. I don't care what she did. It's your fault. Fix it. You are the strength of that relationship. You make it work. Every guy gives. That's the way it is. I won't blame it on anybody. And definitely not on the woman you gave me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bad, bad news. All right. Let's do some timing things because I'm tired of sitting, aren't you? Okay. <laughs> if... Uh, if this is today on our timeline, this is the year 2000, then this would be the year 1000, 1000 years earlier, and then 1000 years earlier, we have a, the year zero. zero, and this is, right, and here in this corner, we have a tzadi, and this tzadi is Yeshua HaMashiach. A thousand years earlier, I have a tzaddik in this corner, a righteous man. He is David HaMelech HaMashiach. A thousand years earlier, I have a, a tzaddik in this corner. Who is it? Abraham Avinu, Abraham our father. <laughs> a thousand years earlier, this is that was the year 2000 uh, before the common era. Here is uh, 3,000 before the common era. Who's the tzaddik in this corner? Noah. Noah. And a thousand years before that, that's 6,000 years from now, earlier is, who's the tzaddik there? Adam. Adam. So let's, let's go through it. Adam, Noah, Abraham, David, Yeshua, Rashi, you. Good. So here, here I am in a corner. And did you notice that the first Adam and the last Adam line up? I like that. <laughs> do you are do you are you are you implying that the third Adam will also be in that corner? I didn't know there was third. Oh, we had first and last. Do we have to wait another two thousand years for Messiah to come back? Well, the sages don't say that. The sages say six thousand years man will reign and then Messiah will reign for a thousand. So we're due and it's fifty seven seventy three. Yeah, I can prove that to you. Using the first verse of this Of course. I mean would that be proof or evidence? Well, it would it would be cool either way. But wait. Let's just look real quick. I just want to point out a couple of things. Adam's there. Who's here? Noah. Noah. 
Look in your Bible. Chapter three, I'm thinking. How long did Adam live? After he begat? I'm thinking it's 930. What do you say? It's 930 total years. How long is that wall? Whoa! When did he die? Noah when the flood came? 500 years? 86 years. 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 Pretty good chance you know If you don't have one of those cool charts in your Bible, after we're done, whip open one of mine and take a look at it, because it's amazing. No, it's 600 when the flood came. He's 600 when the flood came, but how long did he spend building that boat? He was 500 when his sons were born, 600 when the flood came. Noah's born here. So we got the flood happening down here, and it's Abraham right after the flood. But just look at what happened in that first thousand years. All these guys are being born, and they're all living to be just about a thousand years old, right? Basically, three generations from creation to the flood. Yeah. Now, what did we get shot down to? 120. 120. <laughs> Holy. That's that's big. We got we got whacked pretty bad there. It's kind of kind of interesting. Like he says, it says in chapter it's actually chapter three. He says the hundred twenty thing. And then in chapter four, it starts talking about Noah. And he lives, you know, well almost to uh, a thousand years. But he had already said earlier that oh, we're talking about that's right after Noah, right? So you've got Noah living at Seth. Seth overlaps for years and years and years past Abraham. Can you imagine talking to me? Oh, yeah, my dad, you built that stupid boat. Unbelievable. And it had never rained. And then it started raining. And then it started raining. And it kept raining. And then the sewers backed up. Oh, my goodness. And we started floating. And all those people were yelling outside. But then it started raining harder and we couldn't hear it anymore. So you can see that man's, by God's design, man was lasting almost the whole wall. By the time we're done, you get ten generations on the wall instead of one. I still think it's so cool the fact that uh, there's a good probability that Abraham probably met Shem. Just tradition holds that Abraham went to the the um, the Shiva of Shem. It's just so cool to think of he got um, one level removed. From the actual creation account. That's exactly right. Is that's my point. Adam witnessed the tail end of it. Yeah. And then <laughs> Shem probably heard it straight from Adam. Yeah. And Abraham's getting straight from Shem. But Shem heard from Noah. Shem heard from Noah. Or from the guys at the end here. I mean, Lamech. He's hanging around a while too. You know, it's just that Shem could have heard it. everybody's done. Yeah, that's what I meant. But the four. And 
interestingly, even in that short amount of time, already God actually had to call Abraham because they were already all yeah. idolatrous. By the end of this wall, Noah is the, is the saving grace and you know the, the only righteous man on the planet. That's that's how it ends. Or that's how the next one begins. But it's funny because his name is Grace Backwards, Saving Grace. I wonder if he put his socks on back. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, you, Peter's right. In this one wall, by the time you're you know you're you're done with the thousand years, he's already having to call another guy. And then you have a by the middle of the wall we've got Mount Sinai, and here we've got a man after God's own heart, and we have the father of the nation, and here we have the the example of Messiah and the Messiah himself. Oh, it's fine. I, I was basically going to say that. It's interesting that the first couple chapters of Genesis uh, essentially repeat themselves for a lot longer of a period of time after that because it goes from something being created and everything's great all the way to, all right, everybody is destroyed except a remnant or this one family. In yes, case. yes. That's exactly what happens after that is it's just a progression towards evil with one remnant remaining. That's right. And then in the end everyone's destroyed without the well, well let me let me close it up with this. Don't you want to be when God says that's enough, I'm going to do something. Don't you want to be the family that he's talking to? I mean that's amazing. I think it's amazing that he's talking with Cain. I always thought they left the garden. God's still in the garden and we're out here. Thorns and thistles, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. He's walking with Cain. He's walking with Cain the same way he was walking with Adam. He's honestly walking outside the garden now. This gives credence to the saints who say that Messiah has been in exile with his people each time. Who do you think it was that was walking in the garden? It's my master. It's my king. He's walking outside with Cain. Probably had his hands in his pockets. Just watching these guys deal with the whole, with the whole thorns and thistles thing. How's that, go? How's that working out for you? Yeah. Don't you hate that plow? Don't talk to Eve. Yeah. 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 Your dad didn't want to do this, but yeah. Yeah. Play with that hand. Great. What can we do? Did you already mention anything about the channel? I did mention the thing about the childbearing, but since you're the only one here who has the privilege of holding a child, why don't I hold the child while you tell us all about it? <laughs> no, I was, I was just... Uh, uh, <laughs> so I was just going back from working I was pointing out in 1 Timothy 2 to Morgan because she has born a child. It says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Amen. Wow. But I was going to say, did you mention... Um, I didn't. That not only <laughs> were apparently we were supposed to give birth to children painlessly, but also immediately. Wow. And that's all been lost. Like, that's immediately? So cool. the sages 
said it was going to be immediate. It was nine months or just. In fact, they uh, they even go so far as to say that the first verse of chapter four, Adam knew his wife. They put it in the past tense on purpose because I think Rashi says that Adam and Eve already had Cain before they yeah. fell. Just kind of interesting thought. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. So it happened in one day. Saying it like so that you could compare. This is how it was. True. Like to have children before, and here it is after, which kind of makes sense. And and on, when Eve was having like kid number fifty-eight, she's man, man, I wish it was like the first one. <laughs> Just keeps getting worse from here on out. Yeah. Oh. Because but we can't have fifty-eight. She lived nine hundred years. Let's. Uh, what. Uh, Final final comments. Yeah, she she chewed on my glasses last time I watched. Can I have my glasses? She has just as an aside. I was wondering if anybody knew what the sign looked like that God put on Cain. There's such thing as an oath. It's a word sign. Yeah. Chumash are used now. I don't think it wasn't in this one. It's difficult. Well, it's in. He's got the. You gotta have a Hasidic chumash. I don't know that you can really prove this from straight from scripture, but I think it's a really cool idea. It argues that the sign that God put on uh, Cain's head is his name. He actually put his the tetragrammaton on his head, and that's what that would certainly stop somebody from striking you. Well, the interesting thing is that then it also says that what his sons and descendants did, the first thing they did wrong before they started worshiping idols and it got even worse was they first, they no longer sanctified the name. So they saw it on their ancestor's head, but then started using it perversely. That's a slight extrapolation for what it says. It kind of starts to go that way. I'm, I could go a little bit further, but just make that go. That's good. I am absolutely confident. She cannot hear you. Justice today, but it, it was a long portion. And you did great on the creation story. I'm very proud of you. Let's pray, shall we? Avina Mokeo, our Father and our King, we thank you so much for the Word of God that has been preserved for us, that we might know your Word and be obedient to it. Father, I pray that each of us would choose to be those ones with whom you can be with whom you can call upon, like Enoch, Noah, Abraham. Nothing's changed. We find ourselves in exactly the same situation. It really ought to be easier for us, not harder. I pray that we would hear your voice, we would read your word, we would study, and show ourselves approved, actively handling the word of truth and being workers of righteousness and not workers of iniquity. You would find us faithful and that we would not
not be ashamed at your coming. We pray for your soon return. We will reign in Zion. Soon in our days. And all God's people say, Amen. 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 Good job. Good job. Good job. Good job.